So by this time in the retreat, the ending of our second day together, uh, we begin to experience some of the fruits of our practice. We've been talking about some of the fruits in terms of the cultivation of mindfulness and calming, steadying, gathering uh, into awareness, the energy of body, mind and heart. Fruits being more present, more here. Um, perhaps a a pleasant abiding here and now, independent from the external uh, influences, being able to connect with a sense of groundedness. Those are some of the fruits, however, more um, commonly, I think the fruits that we've been experiencing are are actually a little different. Things like restlessness, and mentioned tonight in our discussion of the feelings of uh, um, dislocation, uh, estrangement, uh, feelings of boredom, being wrestling with a mind that's just driven on to the next thing and is resisting having to stop, uh, worry and anxiety and struggling with memories that keep coming up of unpleasant things that we don't really want to remember. Uh, So these these are actually also fruits of a different kind, but this is kind of what happens. It's not what we would like to have happen. I mean, to, to be with sadness or grief, be with physical pain for, for some. There's been a, a lot of encountering of difficult um, bodily feeling, either through illness or just not feeling very comfortable, body feeling heavy or sleepy. So these are actually many of these f- fruits. It means that the practice is actually working. <laughs> Sometimes Ajahn Chah used to talk about being, we want to be enlightened, we want to be uh, bodhisattvas and radiant beings, and he he would encourage us to be earthworm, like an earthworm. So being (laughs) actually this practice, it's more useful to think of ourselves as an earthworm, you know, rather than catapulting ourselves into some idealized spiritual state that we have some kind of imagination about, we've read about in some book, or someone else looks like they've done it, and they look like they're doing pretty well, and trying to emulate them. It's more useful to think of it as actually entering into a more real relationship with with ourselves, and, and going up and out, going down and through the layers of the mud, <laughs> little by little, illuminating, or as Carl Jung said, enlightenment is not about imagining figures of light, but about illuminating, bringing the light to that which has been in the dark, which we haven't really perhaps paid much attention to. And now we have no other escape <laughs> but to pay attention 
to that, the very things that we really resist. So it's, uh, you know, for some it's been a pretty challenging day. And, 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 you know, one's sorry about that. And being in this position, one often wishes they could put out a magic wand and, you know, fix it and make it okay. And, you know, one hates to disappoint. (laughs) How mundane it can actually be, this practice. Process of disappointment. We start off in a very high bar about meditation and retreat centers and sanghas and teachers, and it sort of gradually starts to crumble. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. We're getting more real. You know, that's that's where we have to be. We're, we're we're here to do the work with actually what is, not what we would like to be but the reality of what is, and, and, and it's challenging, it's, it's hard. Some of you may have, may have actually felt like escaping, and Kisa and I often feel like escaping. <laughs> when I did my, my first retreat, I, create, I, 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 I um, made a really um, sophisticated escape plan, which I actually carried out. <laughs> and to, but it was, but I, it was. Uh, I don't know if you ever. Perhaps I, I, they revived this in the in the 1960s in England. They had a a TV program called The Prisoner, which they, I think they've just revived in, on American TV. I saw the first version when I was a teenager year, years ago. <laughs> This, this feeling of this guy constantly wanting to escape, but he, he, he feels he's escaped and then he finds he's still in the prison. Yeah. I used to get this horrible feeling every time I was compelled to watch this, this, this weekly serial about the prisoner and willing him to escape and then he'd only find himself in another convoluted other place within the same kind of prison. That's a bit like the mind, you know, we... We want to escape to some other place, and then we find here we are again. And so I, I had this uh, escape plan, and after about it was one of these very, very severe retreats. You get up really early and you just sit all day. And uh, I'd come, uh, I'd been in the summer. I'd been at a whole bunch of festivals, kind of living a very different kind of life. <laughs> And uh, just began to thought, think, oh, I should really be, learn to meditate. Sounds like a cool thing to do. But it was such a radical shift from what I've been doing that after about three hours, I was like the prisoner. I just felt completely overwhelmed with uh, being confronted with my, cha- my chaotic mind. My, you know, just I couldn't sit still. I was like on an anthill, hill, just sort of jumping around and. Everyone else seemed more still, so I put my cushions right at the back. I started to feel a bit embarrassed about how mobile I was. <laughs> it's a big pile of cushions with me on the top, <laughs> precariously. And then after about day one, it was like, I can't believe it's another 10 days of this. I felt like I'd been there an eon. I, I could never, you know, just had no idea when this thing was going to end. No one would look at me, talk to me. <laughs> And I, I couldn't understand the instruction. The monk spoke Burmese. 
There wasn't any translators, there wasn't any qigong, there wasn't any, some nice chants and things, and nothing. So after about three days in my little cell, I started to, I left a little note. I had a few friends I'd gone with and I started to pack my bag. And I decided I'd plan it to try and go, go leave when everyone was having a cup of tea so that I could sort of just sort of, you know, wouldn't be missed because we actually, there was this feeling we should never leave the meditation hall. So they went for a cup of tea and I started. It was one of these old English um, mansions that uh, had been converted into a retreat center. But what I didn't count on was that everyone was having their tea in the foyer overlooking the driveway that I was walking down. There's 70 eyes pinned with me with my suitcase. And I, I had this sort of awareness of an intensity. And so then I thought, well, I better jump over, I'll make a quick U-turn, jumped over the fence and went through this field that was full of nettles, singing nettles and brambles and thistles and sort of waded through this whole thing down to the road. And I got to the road finally and I actually didn't, I was a student, I didn't have any money, so I thought, well, I better hitch. No one picked me up. So I, st I stood there for about three hours and I felt like that prisoner. It's like I was just, that, there was no escape. So I waded all the way back through the, the thistles and stinging nettles, went back to my cell, unpacked my bag and went back to this pile of cushions. And, and the awful thing was no one noticed I'd gone. <laughs> I didn't know whether I was relieved or devastated. It was like this little drama had happened and, and I couldn't get out. And I'm still here. <laughs> I still haven't been able to get out of these retreats nearly I don't know, 40 years later or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. There's no escape. So here we are. We're here with our staff. You know. <clears throat> and trying to become more real, trying to meet our experience as it is rather than how, how we would like it to be. And we have so many... You know, there's a difficulty with these... these uh, you know, these inspiring goals that we can set ourselves, not only in our secular life, but, you know, when it comes to the spiritual life, they, they can really, you know, be these very uh, sublime ideals that we have. You know, and I hear it in, in myself, I hear it in others, well, by now I should at least have a little bit more, you know, bliss and light and peace and insight and flashing lights and things resolved and very clear, and instead I've been sitting here, and I'm in pain, and I'm confused, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's once when, um, <clears throat> you know, we just kind of start to feel it shouldn't, you know, something's wrong, something's wrong with the retreat, something's wrong with us, something's wrong with the teachings, the food, <laughs> you know, the mind starts to, to look for, you know, so what, what, what's wrong, and what, what can we what can we find fault with and, and, and wanting it to be a different way if we could just adjust things somehow get it right because that's what we usually do when we're out there isn't it we just kind of move things around so to help us feel a bit better you know so we're constantly shifting the, the scenery around you know, the plants and the furniture and the, the people and the jobs and the geography and the climate and you know there's only so, you know, we, I think we're in an interesting time in our, in our 
in our contemporary culture that, that we almost have become satiated with the things we can move around. I don't know what else we can move around anymore. <laughs> we're being so, that, that phrase that Kitty Sara used, eyeball to eyeball with our karma, you know, we're just so now in it. We can't really move so easily anymore. We're facing the consequences of our, of our, um, our craziness. So here we are. And, you know, we still have this illusion if we could just shift something. And we, we internalize that. If we could just shift things around inwardly, then somehow it would all line up and we would arrive somehow. And, uh, you know. and, w- and when that's not happening, we feel that something's wrong. It shouldn't be like this. It was um, one of the uh, monks, when he was training, who, who was an associate of ours in the, the monastery, in Thailand, he, he was um, in hospital. He had, a, he had to have an operation on his knees, and he landed up in hospital. And uh, it was very difficult because he had this ideal about sitting cross-legged. You know, that's what you're meant to do, particularly as a, as a monastic. You're not supposed to sit and plaster in a chair or, or lay, be laying down in a bed um, with the idea that you might not be able to sit cross-legged anymore. He, so it was an affront to his whole sense of self as a, as a meditator, as a professional monk and meditator. He felt very, very sorry for himself. And one day Ajahn Chah came to see him. And um, so he came up to his bed and said, well, how are you doing? And this monk said, you know, Lung poor, Venerable Father, it, it shouldn't be like this. It really shouldn't be like this. And Ajahn Chah just leaned over him and said, well, you know, if it shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this, would it? <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> we, how often do we project that onto, our, onto ourself, onto our body, you know, onto the environment around? You know, so, so beginning to allow ourselves to accept this is how it is, Yes, it's not particularly easy. And yes, the practice is working, actually, because it might not be producing great ecstatic utterances. I didn't really hear, I have to confess, many in the check-ins today, a lot more on the other spectrum (laughs) of the struggle. But this is what we are wanting to work with, to illuminate, to bring to light, so that we can work consciously with the reality of what, what's here. So as we, as we become more present, we start to contact the mind, you know, the habits we're seeing, the things that we usually just moves us along. It's like that image that uh, Kitty Sorrow gave from Ajahn Lee about the bridge across a fast-running river with very deep currents, and then trying to plunge that middle pillar of the bridge down through the river into the ground. It's a bit like this practice of samadhi that we've been doing, of little by little moments of attention, gathering a sense of presence, attentiveness, here and now, and plunging that attentiveness through the currents of our experience, the energy of the body, the, 
the, the, the skittishness sometimes of the mind, the, the discordant and sometimes turbulent feeling tones that we experience again and again. And, and if we just move with that current, we don't really see it so much. But if we actually, you know, we put something static in a river, you start to see that you can see the current. You can see how fast it's flowing. And in the same way, when we actually stop, usually in our daily life, we just move with the impulses that we feel. We feel restless. We, we move over here. We feel um, sad or a bit depressed. We ring up a friend. Or, you know, if we, if we feel sleepy, we just go, go, go sleep. Or if we feel worried, we just start spinning out. Mm get caught up in you know some of these more more difficult states like the the one that we talked about at tea time before tea of the the feeling of being dislocated somehow and estranged when we start to stop like this and steady we start to to see these currents of the mind the momentum this momentum and, and there's a friction there, isn't it? There's, a, there's an intensity, in a way, as we meet our, our, our experience here and now. We start to, to see the mind, you know, these, these, uh, these um, <clears throat> movements of, the, of the, uh, the hindrances, that which hinders our capacity to be really present we can start to see what those currents are, the, the, the movement of, of, of the, the mind always wanting something else, wanting to be somewhere else. Sort of seeking for something. Usually we, we don't really see that so clearly because we, we get swept along by it. It's like a, sometimes it's called like a flood. Just, just the mind just floods out and runs out. You know, looks for something to absorb into, uh, you know, into the in, into the TV or, or you know, work project or you know, something. So that 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 opportunity doesn't present itself here. That well, I have seen people studying the notices. I have to say very intensely. <laughs> There's only so much you can read, you know, about <laughs> how to wash up your cups and so on. Before it gets a little bit, you know, after you've read that and read the back of the jars and things, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> not not many other places, you know. You scoped out the scene here, you know. It's a, so again, we start to be confronted with that momentum of the mind that's constantly pushing and, and moving and seeking and scanning the sensory world for something to absorb into. This is called the energy of desire. It's very powerful. It's very powerful because it very much feels like it's it's me when we when we're caught in desire. It's who we are, you know, and, it, and it's very urgent. And it's always an energy that points out onto the next thing. And then the contrary to that, we can feel the opposing kind of energy. We maybe we're not we're not really looking for something else. But uh, we, one thing we know is we don't really know, we don't want what's actually here. We feel resistant or averse to our experience here. Yeah. The mind could get caught up in this kind of just this sense of, 
you know, I, I just just maybe averse to being being here, or just averse to being with our body, or averse to being with our experience, or resistant to being with with how it is. So these two energies are very very powerful, and they operate almost all the time in some way or another, and and they and they shape us and move us around very powerfully, uh, desire and aversion. So when we move with those currents, we, we don't really see them so much. We just become them. And we're enslaved. In a way, the, the Buddha talked about these first two hindrances. When we're not conscious and we're not consciously working with them, it's a bit like being enslaved or in debt or in a, in a, in a wilderness without any, any place to uh, find rest. And then very a little different, but energies also people have been exploring and with today um, the the feeling of of dullness or sleepiness. Someone was talking about that, you know, when you come into retreat, you sleep a bit, catch up with yourself, and go and sit. And then this kind of dullness and sleepiness can overcome the mind. You think, oh, well, I really need to rest. You know, the teacher said we should rest, catch up with yourself. You go upstairs to lay down, and you're actually fine. <laughs> Wide awake. And you come. So what's going on? Yeah, it's interesting. Because at a certain point, that there's, there's physiologi- physiological tiredness, but then there's a certain point when the, the mind just, just, you know, just goes dull and you know, unconscious. It just sort of spaces out, and we can't really—we're not connected anymore. Or the opposite, the, the, a lot of restlessness can also come up, just bouncing off the walls, and a very hard energy to contain. You just feel like you can't sit any longer. Got to do something. And then the last <coughs> hindrance that. Uh, is, um, and spoken about very, very powerful, very hard to actually get a perspective on is this feeling of doubt. Why the hell am I here? <laughs> what is this all about? You know, who am I? And and is this the best practice? Is this the best way? And what should I do with my life? And 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 why did this happen? And and, and, and it's coupled, it's very, very connected with the feeling of anxiety and worry. It's just something that's, that sabotages, undermines, dislocates, um, and gets us to start thinking. Because usually when we're in doubt, we think, well, if I start thinking, I'll be able to think my way to a solution. So we start thinking and thinking and thinking. And of course, the more we think, the more we generate doubt. You know, because every, every option we can think about, there's a counter position or another perspective. So the illusion of doubt is that you know, we think, it, think about it, we'll get to clarity. But the illusion within doubt is that we just continue to, to go around in, in this kind of fog. Never feel rooted. So, so these are these are the territories that you know. As we start to work with this gathering, this samadhi, this focusing, you know, some of the fruits. Yes, we will be more present. There will will be a sense of relief. Maybe oh, it's so nice just to be simple and just to sit and be with a breath. It's delicious. 
but it also will begin to illuminate. As we're more here, it will illuminate the currents of the, the mind, the, 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 the feeling in the body, the residue of what all has gone before that we feel within the body, the patternings, the deep bodily memory that we may experience as, as tension or or as a pain, or as energetic blocks. All of this starts to become conscious. It's quite actually hard to be with, which is why we're really looking at developing these skillful means to enable ourselves to be with that which is difficult to bear, difficult to be with in in a way that doesn't just repress our experience or distract ourselves from our experience, or become overwhelmed and caught up, but in a way that there can be a conscious, reflective, mindful uh, transformation, engagement with our experience when we're under the sway of one of these hindrances. First of all, it's very, very helpful to have some, to actually apprehend and begin to consciously engage and work with these, with these different um, currents of the mind. It's very helpful to have some perspective, it's called right view, some understanding, some wisdom to orientate us. And it can be very, very simple, just the, just the phrase that we started the retreat with, which was, you know, this is how it is, this is what I'm working with, whatever's present now. So this begins to orientate us into the reality of what, what is here, begins to get a perspective. And then as we do that, we can, you know, in mindfulness, cognitively, we can start to, we can start to frame our experience in a more manageable way which is actually quite important because some of these feeling tones that can come up, especially if they, they're quite pervasive and we, and we haven't maybe really gone to the depth of them or really been that, that conscious or, they, or they're very deep sankharal patterns that are there that take a lot of time and patience and, and, and uh, inquiry to work with. Some of them will, will come up, they, they'll have um, so much familiarity about them, so much a sense of me that, that it's hard to have some perspective. It feels like we, we've always been like this. You know, I'm, I'm always feeling like this. Actually, it's not really true. <laughs> but that's the, that's the illusion within some of the struggles that we have. It will never go away. It will never change. I've always had this feeling of being estranged, being a stranger, being the prisoner, (laughs) never being able to arrive. You can really feel like that. And then we can feel like I've I've got to be here with this for another 10 days, it's impossible. And someone, you know, like you'll start getting some hints from me about how to, well, perhaps actually, (laughs) I don't think my escape was too successful, but you know, you start to plan your own escape. 
But the, uh, there's, um, so talking with someone in the group today, they, 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 uh, they said something very interesting. They were, they were working with the feeling of being a little bit overwhelmed by coming into this experience and feeling like, how can I do 10 days? How can I be with this pain that I'm working with for 10 days? I can't do it for 10 days. And then, and then the person thought, well, actually, I only have to do it now. <laughs> You know, so it's like a reframing. It's, it's a skillful way of beginning to, on a cognitive level, and this is one part of the work of mindfulness, is to, is to reframe our reality in a way that it starts to become manageable. So, you know, the first aspect of engaging that, which, you know, these more difficult fruits of our practice, is to come into relationship with them with, a, with one, you know, whether it's a hindrance or one of these more difficult states, in a way that becomes manageable, that we don't overwhelm ourselves, we don't intimidate ourselves, we don't just, you know, um, batten down the hatches and sort of battle away, and then land up feeling really ragged, and and lose all sense of well-being, all sense of perspective. That's not. It might be quite a warrior type of approach and it might be impressive but it's not necessarily skillful or that conducive actually and it's often an approach that we can easily fall into as meditators just sort of tough it out I've done, I've done a lot of toughing it out and um, I'm not I mean I think it has some value you learn to endure difficult things painful things you know, you can have some endurance and patience, but I'm not necessarily convinced it's the most skillful way of working with, with pain, whether psychological, emotional, or some of these states that come up. So learning, first of all, how to make what we're with more manageable to adjust. You know, if, if there's a lot of pain in the body, sometimes we need to learn how to shift our posture, you know, from the cushion to a chair to be creative. For some of us that are working with really deep illnesses, we might need to explore taking our meditation into the laying down postures. Kitty Sara said he spent three years perfecting the laying down posture. (laughs) Gained a lot of insight, actually. Letting go. Accepting, just accepting the body as it was, in in in, in 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 how it is, you know, so... Kitty Sara was <clears throat> very ill in the early days in the monastery. Everyone wanted to get him well. So we'd cook you know, different diets and like, hundreds of different alternative therapists. And it's a pressure to keep get, get well, get well. You've got to get well. Yeah. And then one day the abbot of the monastery came up to see him and said, I give you permission to die. <laughs> This is a monastery. So are strange places, <laughs> a little extreme. But he said, he, he said something. He said, "I realize I've been projecting this thing onto you about you've got it. I want you how I used to know you when you were really strong, and it's actually quite unkind. You're not like that, you know. So you know, it was like a way of saying, I accept. You know, just let's just let, let's just work with how you actually are." Let's just work with how it actually is. 
So in the body, you know, the body's in a lot of pain, or you're, work, you know, and you, and you have a, some kind of internal ideal about what a perfect meditator should look like. It's a kind of a violence in a way. It can be a bit of a violence to the reality of what one's working with. So learning to adjust so that, that one can negotiate and, and skillfully work with these quite difficult territories. The Buddha taught that we, we were looking at the skill of the training of samadhi, gatheredness, focus, concentration, the first aspect of bringing the mind, training attention to the breath. This, 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 can, be in, this can be expanded upon in not only a skill in meditation, but in skill in daily life of learning to, when there is that edge of overwhelm, we should be able to begin to recognize what are the symptoms start to feel maybe dislocated, spun out, panicky, to learn to take the attention to something more wholesome, either framing one's reality in a more skillful way. For example, all I need to do is just be with this moment as it is now. I actually find it's not easy to do, usually I can do it. I think I've got to always be with something that's difficult for the next 20 years, then it's going to overwhelm. But I see, well, I can just, I can just this much, and that's actually all we're ever working with is just this much now. That's all, actually. And that's when we start to break into, in a way, undermine some of the patterning that, that has an impossibility about it and just keeps ricocheting around through our resistance and through our, you know, not wanting to be with our experience. So reframing, adjusting, learning to maintain well-being, these are important supports for the cultivation of meditation. And then as we start to gather more strength of, of mindfulness, awareness, presence, then you know, we can begin to actually take that quality of attentiveness. If we're safe experiencing some of these hindrances, states of mind that, are, that are, are difficult for us to be with, we can actually take that quality of attention maybe even a little bit beneath the cognitive level, the thinking, the worrying, the anxiety, the narrative about how it's always a bit like this, and go directly to where is this in the body? How is the body? To really feel with the body, to take the breath there, to take attentiveness there. Just gently allowing awareness and mindfulness to rest with the energetic sense of some of these these patterns, these hindrances. If we're working with, uh, say, restlessness, just where where can we can we just stay? Just this for this moment, just for this moment, just for this moment. Can we just stay and, and meet the, the energetic sense of it? and breathe there, and just holding, there's something very powerful. It's not bringing awareness there and attention there to try and fix or change or sort it out or with a lot of willpower, but it's just the simple, sometimes in a therapy they call it just the empty hand. You just bring, you touch a place where there's pain, and you just gently 
hold the hand and then allow awareness and a, a presence to be there. In a way, this is an, inter- an internal holding, empty hand, a gentle hand, the hand of attentiveness, a hand of awareness to the place where there might be a, the appearance of one of these uh, hindrances or states of mind. And you just rest there. Take attentiveness there, take the breath there, maybe using this first factor of the jhana factor with the cognitive thinking mind, maybe mixing with a mantra like being at ease with how it is, or the buddho, or gently receiving my experience, kindly receiving my experience. We can find words that just begin to help us to rest and stay. We might not be able to do it for an hour, we might just do it for a few moments, but, it, but those moments are very important moments. They begin to shift our relationship to our experience. We begin to get some perspective. We begin to understand that that which can know the hindrance or can know restlessness or can know desire or can know the feeling of being estranged or being lonely or being sad or feeling disappointed in oneself, that can know these different states of mind, we we get to realize that which knows isn't the state of mind. There's a difference. And that's a a very, very important shift that can start to happen. Moments of being able to say the mind is uh, caught up in doubt. Why am I here? What should I do? What should I decide? What shall I do with my life? And how shall I deal with this problem? What shall I do about this difficult whatever? Yeah. Or maybe with that there's quite a charge, maybe some anxiety. Just being able to, to bring attention there and know this is doubt, this is anxiety. It's, it's, it liberates, begins to liberate the mind from the doubt. It doesn't necessarily mean the doubt dissolves or the, or the sadness goes away or the pain goes away, but there, there's a, a liberation from the identification. And in, in that process, there's a more conscious engagement. One can begin to reflect on the nature of our experience in a more wise and uh, mindful way, which begins to alter the experience, actually. <clears throat> We begin to be, not only uh, have some perspective on some of the things that we've been with today, some space, some ability, but we also begin to recognize the awareness of of the mind itself. We recognize that there's this, the awareness, the spaciousness, the presence of the mind. Is, uh, is, is that which we can take refuge in, we can align with, we can rest in. And then within that we can s- notice that these different states, whether it's 
very pleasant fruits, like sometimes we can sit and there can be a very subtle pleasure, refined states of concentration, subtle sensory experience, lucidity of thought, revelation can appear. And there's a real gatheredness of awareness, contentment, peace. Sometimes that, or sometimes like raging chaos. <laughs> Old memories that repeat, like, you know, you've eaten some food that just keeps repeating, some old thing that n- niggles at you that just doesn't go away. Old memory. And it just comes up. We can know, we can know that, you know, there's, these things are changing, they're moving, and we can, that which knows these different states isn't the state. It's, it remains, it can rest, it's unmoving. Everything else is moving, changing. So I really encourage uh, all of us, you know, this isn't easy to meet ourselves, (laughs) our (laughs) non-self-self. You know, to meet these currents of the mind, but in little by little, you know, not to give up on this training of attentiveness, this training of mindfulness, little by little, with, as mindfulness strengthens the ability to, to, to be able to, to, rather than, as one Chinese master, Master Hua would say, rather than being turned by the state, we see the state turn. Rather than being completely overwhelmed and consumed with the feeling of what a failure I am, <laughs> or how I'm always going to feel like this, or it's always like this, or it's intolerable, rather than feeling like we become consumed and overwhelmed by that, we actually see, we see the state move and it changes. And we start to notice that which remains, the awareness, the presence, the knowing, that which can know the hindrances but isn't a hindrance, isn't hindered. And that which can actually recognize that these hindrances at first seem to be a real um, challenge, but eventually we recognize that these very hindrances, when they, they come up, when they appear, they actually become the, the, the fuel and the food and the incentive for our awakening. They prod us. It'd be pretty boring, maybe, if we were just sitting here in Nirvana. I don't know. You know it's kind of more interesting to have a few hindrances to work with. You know, so these are the things that, that we have to develop skill you know, to work with. Uh, we have to develop inquiry, insight. We have to have uh, patience, compassion. We have to maintain our humanity in the face of it's the hindrances and these things that come to challenge us, that, it, that uh, test what is it to be, stay within our to stay kind, to stay patient, to stay an earthworm. (laughs) 
we're not an earthworm for eternity. They, they, they do morph, not caterpillars, you know. Maybe a caterpillar is a better analogy. But these, uh, as Ajahn uh, Chah would say, without desire there would be no path. Without the hindrances there would be no practice. So we could even maybe be even a little grateful for our challenges, even though, you know, it's hard to to do that. But the things that challenge us will actually uh, awaken us, keep us awake. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.